Welcome to Nobody Told Me. I'm Laura Owens. And I'm Jan Black. We are so happy to welcome best-selling poet and author Maggie Smith back to the show. In 2020, her book, Keep Moving, Notes on Loss, Creativity, and Change became a breakout bestseller in the midst of the pandemic. Maggie's powerful collection of quotes and essays on facing life's challenges with creativity, courage, and resilience provided inspiration and insight to people around the world who were experiencing one of the toughest times in their lives. And now Maggie has developed an interactive workbook to guide readers on their own journeys toward growth during times of grief and uncertainty. It's called Keep Moving, The Journal. Maggie, we thank you so much for joining us once again. Oh, it's so good to be back. Thank you. Tell us how Keep Moving, The Journal came about. You know, it came about, honestly, back when we decided to make the book, uh, which really came about from reader feedback. I was posting these quotes on my social media and people asked for a book. And for every person who asked for a book to gift, someone would also say, you know, this would make a really good guided journal. I would love to have a place to sort of expand on these quotes or think about the ways that they apply to me and my own experience. And so when we were developing the initial book, that was something in the back of my mind because I had a feeling people would probably be using, uh, even just keep moving the book in that way. And, and so when the opportunity came to do the journal, I thought, no, this is perfect because I think people have been sticking post-it notes in the book and flagging it and maybe scribbling in the margins. And this is the, you know, the journal is something that really is built for that and, and invites you to not just interact, um, with my stories, but, but tell your own. I love how you talk about finding magic in the present, especially now when it's so hard to do that. I mean, I guess it's becoming easier. Please tell us how to do that. <laughs> it's easier said than done, isn't it? I mean, in 10 I, seconds I, or less. I know. I, I mean, I was What's hoping for something really short and easy <laughs> that we could all follow. <laughs> what, what is the secret? Yeah. I mean, we, we are all, I think, guilty of um, spending too much time in our lives looking forward and too much time looking back. It's just, it's so much easier to think about what's going to happen next. And often with anxiety, right? Like, oh, here's my to-do list. I need to get this done. I need to get this done. What's my schedule look like tomorrow? What's the weekend got to get, you know, where are the kids need to be? What's happening? Or to get nostalgic and not always in a healthy way, looking back, you know, sometimes with regret or longing about things that we wish we had done or said differently. And so I agree that the importance of sort of keeping ourselves grounded in the present moment it, it really is, I think, key to, to peace of mind, but it is easier said than done. So how, how do we do it? One way is by putting one's phone away. Um, the place where we keep our calendar <laughs> that tells us what's coming next and the place where we can scroll through and get those sometimes delightful and sometimes not so delightful your life a year ago, or would you like to review these photos? No, Shutterfly, I don't want to look at my life eight years ago. Thank you very much. So, you know, taking a walk or spending time with you know, my kids or listening to music or reading a book or doing something where I am not calling upon myself to look forward or back. I'm just, you know, taking in the moment as it happens. Tell us more about how keep moving, just the phrase itself, 
took on such a big, important role in your life when you were at a difficult time. Yeah, I I realize it's now been almost exactly three years since I posted that first keep moving tweet that then those the daily practice of those tweets grew into the book. And it was October of 2018. I was in the middle of my marriage ending. It was an impossible time. And that first quote was something about burning grief and anger as fuel to keep moving forward. And I just repeated the phrase at the end of that little self-pep talk, keep moving. And the next day I got up and I wrote myself another self-pep talk. And I ended it the same way with keep moving. Because in my in my experience at that time, the thing that I needed to do was just press forward. Because I had a hunch that it wouldn't always feel that bad. That it wouldn't always be that hard. If I could get some perspective and push into the next week, the next month, the next year there would come a time where I would look back on that October 2018 period and think, oh my gosh, that was so hard, but look how far I've come. And it's, it feels sort of miraculous to be three years out from that and, and to indeed have greater perspective and to see all the things that have happened in the meantime, because I was able to put one foot in front of the other and just keep going even, even when it didn't feel possible. What advice would you have for somebody who has had a lot of trouble adopting that attitude? And like you said, the ending of one thing is the beginning of another. I'm wondering how they can apply that to their lives, even if they don't feel like they have hope. Yeah. I mean, that's part of the project with the journal is giving people a place to write and process, because I think sometimes we get kind of looped in a negative loop in our brains where we can only really see what's wrong. And so it's just so easy, particularly when things are hard and things are hard for so many people right now to sort of be, you know, not even consciously creating a list of bad things in your mind. These are all the things that are wrong, but we often don't take time to stop and think about what's going right or even what we really want. Like what, what are, what's the life that I want look like? What's the, you know, how do I close the gap between the way I'm living right now And what that is, well, I have no idea how to close the gap if I don't even know what that looks like and therefore what steps I might need to take to get there. Um, Or it's really easy to think about the things that are going wrong, but what am I grateful to even in this hard time? What am I feeling positive about or grateful for? And so the journal is really meant to be a space where we can put pen to paper and articulate some of those things and see them clearly so that we can really process them without um, just all of the sort of internal noise of having stuff swirling around in our brains. One of the things you write in the journal is that sometimes gifts arrive hidden inside layers of trouble, and you won't see the gift if you're only seeing the trouble. So keep opening until you get there. What goes through your mind when you think about that? Yeah. I mean, so often it's, it's funny, even with the divorce, so many of the things that have happened to me that at the time just felt a hundred percent bad. Like I, I, I couldn't see a silver lining at all. Just this is a bad thing that has happened with a little bit of greater perspective and processing, you know, for me in writing, I was able to see, okay, no, this was a negative experience. And yet, and yet, Here are some things that happened because of it. Oh my gosh, I'm having these terrific one-on-one conversations with my kids, for example, that maybe wouldn't have been made possible 
before, or now I have a couple of nights off a week when they're with their dad and I'm spending more time with my mom or with my girlfriends, or I have this time to read that maybe I didn't have before, or I'm starting to, to remember maybe things about myself that I had sort of subsumed or, or turned my back on in my marriage that now that I'm on my own, I can sort of lean into those parts of myself a little bit more. So, so unwrapping the negative experience to really take some time to look at what some of those bright, shiny moments tucked inside might be. I love how you talk about forgiving your younger self for not knowing better. And it seems to me like during this time, you didn't look back with regret and wish that you'd done something differently. What advice do you have for the rest of us who do? Oh, I definitely do it. Don't be fooled. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely do it. I definitely think, well, if I had known this, you know, we don't have... um, We don't have the benefit necessarily of foreshadowing in our lives the way we do when we're reading a book or watching a movie. And you can see when you're reading a book or watching a movie, oh, no, no, don't, don't open that door. No, don't go that way. Something bad's going to happen. And we don't necessarily see that in our lives. Things just happen to us and then we have to deal with them. So I definitely still have times where I think I wish I had done this differently. I wish I hadn't said this. I wish I had handled this differently. I think the way I process that often is in writing. I mean, also in therapy and in talking to my friends and my parents and, and other people who love me, but really processing on paper, I think helps me realize that I did the best that I could with the information I had and the person I was at the time. And so any regret I have is is not fair because I'm using current knowledge and current self to look back on that. And I didn't, I wasn't the person I am now a few years ago. Mercifully, we keep growing. And I didn't know what I know and I didn't feel what I feel. So it's not quite fair to expect those things of our past selves. All we can do is is go forward with the knowledge that we have now and try to make better decisions knowing what we know without beating up our former self about what we couldn't have possibly known back then. There are so many different thoughts that you have in the book that we could talk for hours about, but I wanted to ask about one where you say, remember when you would have been over the moon thrilled to have just a fraction of what you have right now. I love, mm, I love I that. Too. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So true. And yet we lose perspective so much of the time in our lives. It's so true. And I think even even during hard times, I mean, even over the past few years and single parenting, and sometimes I'm like, oh, this is so hard and hard in ways I did not expect. And I didn't, this is not the the childhood I imagined for my kids. You know, we, we go through, a, you know, it's easy to fall into sort of negative self-talk about what one's life looks like. And then I have to think about everything that's going right. I mean, again, it's those gifts tucked inside the trouble I, if you had told, you know, 15 year old Maggie that she would be writing multiple books, um, and getting to travel and that she would have some of the friendships that she has and that she would have two wonderful, healthy, smart, creative, sweet, compassionate kids and a very cute, though not always well-behaved dog, (laughs) Um, you know, and terrific neighbors. And I mean, if you had told me all of those things, 
I, I wouldn't have seen any of that coming. So while we don't have foreshadowing for some of the, the toughest parts of our lives, we also don't have foreshadowing for the brilliant things we don't know are just around the bend. And so I, I think about that when things are hard. Yes, things are hard, but I couldn't have imagined all these wonderful things that have happened. And so there must be more good coming that I can't see yet. And I have to trust it's there. Has a lot of that knowing that something good is coming come from meditation? You know, some, yeah. I mean, meditation is useful. I find in some ways for me, I'm sort of a, I would say a casual meditator. So I'm not, I'm not typically a sit, um, you know, on a pillow in a quiet room and meditate or do a guided meditation sort of person. My meditation tends to happen on long walks. So if I'm walking, I sort of get, um, there seems to be something about a long walk, particularly if I can get among trees, you know, into the woods or even in a neighborhood with lots of trees that I find sort of scours out my mind in a really helpful way and sort of primes it for better thinking um, and just quiets the mind because so much of, of life in general is everything all the time. It's, if I'm not looking at my laptop, I'm looking at my phone. And if I'm not on an email, I'm on a call or I'm on a Zoom or I'm running to pick somebody up or I'm running to drop someone off or I'm doing the laundry or I'm emptying the dishwasher or it's just go, go, go. And so any time we can take to, to sort of quiet the mind, I think is important time. Another one of the interesting thoughts you have is to ask people to look around where they live and decide which meaningful objects most define them. How can that be useful? I, I've been thinking about this a lot over the past couple of years because, you know, one of the things interesting, I think, that happens when you move, or, or in my case, I did not move, but my ex-husband moved out, is having the opportunity to reconfigure or reimagine a space just for you. So, you know, for example, leaving your parents home, say, if you go off to college and you get to decorate your dorm room or moving out of a place with a roommate and getting your own first place and getting to make it really yours. And what does the way that you decorate, what does your artwork, what does the paint color you choose? What do these things that we might consider to be sort of decorative or surface, how are they actually um, sort of part of our self-care like making our space welcoming to us and feeling at home in our space. And, and I think about that a lot in, in terms of, of the pandemic, because a lot of us have been at home, both for work and for school and for parenting for this, you know, you know, practically two years now. And so what, what does it mean to be at home all the time? And how can we make sure that our spaces feel like us and feel, um, you know, like a place where we can be productive. It's really hard, at, at least for me, I don't want to speak for all of our listeners, to think about going for bold colors instead of neutrals. How can <laughs> we get ourselves over that fear of, you know, worrying about what other people think and doing what we want to do? It's so funny. I had someone come to my house recently and she walked in the door and she said, oh, well, you're not afraid of color. And I just had to laugh because I think from the outside of my house, it just looks like a regular suburban house. And then people walk in and it's like, 
oh, you have teal walls and yellow lacquered cabinets and orange artwork and a yellow couch and pink pillows. And it really is incredibly bright. And it was mostly, you know, beige and brown with some pops of color before. And I think, um, you know, some of it is about giving ourselves permission to just be authentically ourselves and not worry too much about it. And despite the fact that maybe someone else might come into my house and be like, oh my gosh, this, I don't think I would find this soothing. I think this is really busy. This, this is not um, a cozy environment to my eye. It is perfect for me. And I live here. Um, and I think this, I think the same thing with personal style. You know, I, I like to say I'm not for everyone. You know, I, I, I dress for me. I dress for my own pleasure. Um, I pick things that, that I like that make me happy. That's, that's what fashion is. Um, it's not about dressing for others. It's about dressing for oneself. And I, I use, I, I think of sort of dressing my home really in the same way. You urge people to change something in their routine if they're going through a dark time in their lives. How is that helpful? I, I think it's helpful even when you're not going through a dark time. We, we tend to get into ruts, don't we? I mean, it's like you get up, Always, you have the yeah. same three things for breakfast every day. It's either this or it's this or it's this. And then you have your coffee in the same mug. And then you sit down and you do the same thing every day. And and I think especially when we're going through hard times, it's good to kind of help us rewire our brains by doing things differently. So if it means getting up in the morning and maybe just taking a walk first thing or going for a run or, um, you know, reaching out via texter or phone to someone that you care about to kind of set the day off on the right, on the right foot. Um, I, I really have been questioning the way that I do things more and more and thinking about what serves me and what doesn't. And if it serves me, it's fine to leave it part of the routine. That's great. You know, some things are we do every day because they bring us joy. But what about the things that we do every day that don't? They're just familiar. And is it is it worth doing things just for familiarity's sake or or what might happen if we if we change some things up? Again, maybe this is just me, but I feel a sense of panic if I think that my routine is going to be different. And like today, for example, my sister and I always work out together via Zoom. She's in New York and I'm in Arizona, but we work out in the mornings and she wasn't able to work out this morning. And I was like, what do I do? I, I don't even know <laughs> what to do with myself. I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one who feels that way, but how can we overcome it on the off chance that I'm not? You are definitely not the only person that feels that way. I mean, I, I write and keep moving the book about what a, a structured person I've been since a, since childhood. I mean, just I, I, I've always hated surprises. I need to know what's coming next. There better be an itinerary. I, I am definitely not backpacking across Europe. I need to know exactly <laughs> where I'm staying. I need to map it. I need to know the restaurant I'm eating within walking distance. You know, I have never been great about spontaneity. And I think something that happened to me, particularly with the divorce, is I felt like the rug was sort of pulled out underneath me and not a way that I chose. And so, but on the bright side, it sort of helped me build resilience because I realized that when the unexpected happens, even if it's the sort of worst case scenario, unexpected, 
I can handle it. In fact, I can thrive through it. So now I've, so, I've sort of built resilience around that so that when unexpected things happen, I'm like, oh, I've got this. If I could do X, I can certainly manage Y. And I think it really just comes with practice, just like anything else. If you don't like to fly, but you have to do it every week, after three months, it's not as hard as it was the first few times. If you don't like to speak publicly, but you have, you suddenly find yourself in a position where you have to do it all the time, it gets easier. And the same thing with change. If you start either by necessity or by choice, building more sort of spontaneity and sort of changing things up into your daily life, it will sort of feel like you're pulling some uncomfortable muscles in the beginning, but it gets easier. And, you know, along those lines, you have a great image that comes up in the book. You say, think of what water does when it finds a barrier. It goes up, around, and under. And mm-hmm. I think we can try to apply that in our lives. I, I just love that that, that image. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a it's a powerful force, but it's flexible, right? It doesn't just hit something and decide, well, I guess I can't go that way and turn around and flow backwards. That never happens. It finds another way. It seeps into the cracks, you know, it goes over or around it, it, it finds a porous, um, you know, material to move through. And I, I think about that a lot. There's always another way. There's always another way. And, and so often I think we, we get so wrapped into our routines and well, this is the way we've always done it. You know, we hear that at work a lot. Well, this is the way we've always done it. Well, that's not actually justification to keep doing it that way. What, what other paths might you take that would, you know, maybe even have less resistance, might be more enjoyable, but you have to ask the question to get there. You might also tell yourself, I'm working towards a change, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you are. And along those lines, you talk about the difference between thinking positively and doing positive things. So can you tell us a little bit more about that and how we can put that into action in our lives? Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about that. You know, we talk a lot about the power of positive thinking, but, you know, power of positive thinking only gets you so far. If you think positive, but you're not actually implementing any of those things in your life, um, it's pretty surface. So it's not enough to think that you're capable of doing things differently. You actually have to build doing things differently into your life. It's about moving from theory into action, which is scary. I mean, frankly, it's a lot easier to think about the things you might do than to start taking concrete steps to do them. And we tend to think and think and think sometimes for months, sometimes for years before we might take that first step. Um, But it does seem and something I've been hearing from, you know, from friends and, and from people just talking about the book anecdotally through the pandemic is that because our lives have already shifted in these big ways, it's, it's almost an invitation for us to start taking some of these concrete steps. Like, well, it, life already doesn't look like it did last year or the year before. So if there's a time to make other changes, maybe now's the time. Let's just do it. Right. I think that's a wonderful, wonderful way of looking at things. And you say in Keep Moving the Journal, stop waiting for the broken parts of your life to get fixed. You're going to have to fix them yourself. That's wonderful to keep in mind. And it's often really hard to do. Oh, it's frustrating. I mean, I would <laughs> I would love for things just to magically come together um, 
And, and as we say, like, it'll work itself out. That's a saying, but usually things don't work themselves out. We work them out. You know, it's, it's an intentional process where we look at what's wrong and we think about ways to fix it for ourselves. So, so yes, it is, it is sometimes frustrating. I wish that things just, um, were, were like self-cleaning like an oven more. Um, but no, we actually have to scrub <laughs> our lives <laughs> ourselves. What are your favorite prompts about moving on from loss? Oh, that's a good one. I mean, I, I think so much of, so much of moving on from loss for, for me at least has to do with reframing what, what that experience has been, right? Like having greater perspective on the experience. And that doesn't mean snapping straight from this terrible thing happened to positive thinking about it. Like, I I think we, we need to recognize that toxic positivity as it's called is real. And I'm not a, a good vibes only person. I am here for all the vibes. I think we need to like honor all of the feelings around loss. And that means sometimes we need to take space and time to really sit with grief and sit with those, those sad feelings and let them wash over us and really process them before we try to make something positive out of it. But then once we've, once we feel that we're ready, I think thinking about how to reframe that is not just negative, but also possibly positive. Um, not just destructive, but also possibly creative. And it, it kind of goes back to the idea of the gifts, right? Being, being tucked inside the trouble. What, what moments of gratitude or what discoveries about ourselves or about our lives or what choices we might make going forward can we find tucked inside these hard, hard changes? You also urge people to think of something they can offer today that would be a gift to themselves and to others. How does that help in, in just keeping moving? I mean, when I feel useful to others, I feel better. Don't we? I mean, if I, if my child says, I would love for you to get up and make me breakfast in the morning, like not just cereal, but like a good breakfast. So did I set my alarm for 630 this morning to make cinnamon rolls? I did. And it made me, was I tired? I was. (laughs) Did it make me feel better when they were so excited to get up in the morning and have a special breakfast before school? It's not a big thing, but it made me feel like I was doing something helpful. Um, Or if I have like a, a particularly useful discussion with a student about their writing, or if I can reach out to someone who I know is going through a hard time and offer some words of encouragement. So I think, you know, so much of transforming our lives for the better does have to do with things that we're doing for ourselves, but that also has to do with what we do for others, because feeling like we're being useful and doing good in the world also helps us feel better about ourselves and gives us a sense of purpose in the world and helps us feel a sense of community and helps us feel dialed in. And frankly, all of that staves off depression. You know, that, that feeling of isolation, like I'm not, no one needs me. I'm not helpful. I'm not doing good. Being sort of dialed in, in a community sense and making sure that we can get up every day and do something even small, a text message, um, to, to be a, to be the bright spot in someone else's day, that matters. 
I completely agree. And the book is basically filled with nobody told me lessons. <laughs> <laughs> and I know we've asked you this before, but we're going to ask it again. What did nobody tell you about going through change and moving forward that you wish that they had and you'd like to pass on to our audience? I think that that the version of you that comes out on the other side of something really difficult might be your favorite version of you that you've met. And that is not something I would have expected. I really expected to come out on the other side of my divorce diminished, a lesser version of myself. And I, I don't feel that at all. And I've talked to so many other people who have been through various difficult things and find some strength and purpose and resiliency in themselves through that, um, that makes them feel, um, better, like a better version of themselves on the other side. So I would, I would offer that to listeners. And, you know, I have to say that after we talked to you a a few months ago and we were talking about the phrase, keep moving and how you posted it around your house when you were going through your divorce and it's stuck in my head. And now whenever I'm faced with any kind of a difficult thing in the middle of a day, I, I hear myself saying, keep moving, keep moving. And it's, it's just, it's I've a great, you say that it's a great, <laughs> middle, it's a great phrase. In the middle of the day. I, yeah, yeah I yeah, agree. Just, just keep moving. It's so useful. So I thank you for that. And, and I love it. Thank yeah, you. It's, it's wonderfully useful. Um, how can people connect with you on social media and the internet? I am uh, Maggie Smith Poet on Twitter and Instagram, and I am MaggieSmithPoet.com um, on the internet. So people people just have to add poet to my name and, and they can find me that way. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Maggie. We just love talking to you and we are obsessed with the journal and your outlook. Yes, yes, exactly. Exactly. We've been talking to Maggie Smith, whose interactive workbook, Keep Moving, the journal is now available and very worthwhile. Her latest book of poetry is called Goldenrod, and her website is maggiesmithpoet.com. I'm Laura Owens. And I'm Jan Black. And you've been listening to Nobody Told Me. Thank you so much for joining us. 